is a message from one of our Sunday celebrations. And you can find out more about Jubilee by visiting our website at www.jubilee.org.uk. Thank you, David. Wonderful. So uh, just to give you the opportunity to get your Bibles out, uh, looking at Nehemiah chapter 13. Anne's going to come and read that to us. Uh, we're going to really start digging into the main subjects of that following up on uh, the last few weeks. So over to Anne to read uh, chapter 13, Nehemiah. So uh, follow it. Um, she's going to be reading from the NIV. On that day, the book of Moses was read aloud in the hearing of the people. And there it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever be admitted into the assembly of God because they'd not met the Israelites with food and water, but had hired Balaam to call a curse down on them. Our God, however, turned the curse into blessing. When the people heard this law, they excluded from Israel all who were of foreign descent. Before this, Eliashib the priest had been put in charge of the storerooms at the house of our God. He was closely associated with Tobiah and he provided him with a large room formerly used to store the grain offerings and incense and temple articles and also the tithes of grain, new wine and olive oil prescribed for the Levites, musicians and gatekeepers as well as the contributions for the priests. But while all this was going on, I was not in Jerusalem, for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I'd returned to the king. Sometime later, I asked his permission and came back to Jerusalem. Here I learned about the evil thing Eliashib had done in providing Tobiah a room in the courts at the house of God. I was greatly displeased and threw all Tobiah's household goods out of the room. I gave orders to purify the rooms, and then I put back into them the equipment of the house of God with the grain offerings and the incense. I also learned that the portions assigned to the Levites had not been given to them, and that all the Levites and musicians responsible for the service had gone back to their own fields. So I rebuked the officials and asked them, why is the house of God neglected? Then I called them together and stationed them at their posts. All Judah brought the tithes of grain, new wine and olive oil into the storerooms. I put Shelemiah the priest, Zadok the scribe and a Levite named Padiah in charge of the storerooms and made Hanan son of Zachar, the son of Mataniah, their assistant, because they were considered trustworthy. They were made responsible for distributing the supplies to their fellow Levites. Remember me for this, my God, and do not blot out what I have so faithfully done for the house of God and its service. In those days, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in grain and loading it on donkeys together with wine, figs, grapes and all kinds of loads. And they were bringing all this into Jerusalem on the Sabbath. Therefore, I warned them against selling food on that day. People from Tyre who lived in Jerusalem were bringing in fish and all kinds of merchandise and selling them in Jerusalem on the Sabbath to the people of Judah. 
I rebuked the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this wicked thing you're doing, desecrating the Sabbath day? Didn't your ancestors do the same thing so that our God brought out this calamity on us and on this city? Now you're stirring up more wrath against Israel by desecrating the Sabbath. When evening shadows fell on the gates of Jerusalem before the Sabbath, I ordered the doors to be shut and not opened until the Sabbath was over. I stationed some of my own men at the gates so that no no load could be brought in on the Sabbath day. Once or twice, the merchants and sellers of all kinds of goods spent the night outside Jerusalem. But I warned them and said, why do you spend the night by the wall? If you do this again, I will arrest you. From that time on, they no longer came on the Sabbath. Then I commanded the Levites to purify themselves and go and guard the gates in order to keep the Sabbath day holy. Remember for me this also, my God, and show mercy to me according to your great love. Moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who'd married women from Ashdod, Ammon and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod or the language of one of the other peoples and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons or for yourselves. Was it not because of marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you two are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to our God by marrying faith foreign women? One of the sons of Joida, son of Elishabib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sambalit the Hohendite, and I drove him away from me. Remember them, my God, because they defiled the priestly office and the covenant of the priesthood and of the Levites. So I purified the priests and the Levites of everything foreign and assigned them duties each to their own task. I also made provision for contributions of wood at designated times and for the first fruits. Remember me with favour, my God. Thank you for reading that so nicely, Anne. That's great. Uh, some of those more difficult words, really challenging when you're trying to uh, try, trying to keep the flow of scripture and so forth. So really helpful. Uh, when we're having a look at um, this last chapter, uh, there's there's a number of things that uh, Nehemiah does, and um, there, there, there's four key areas. Um, but just before I get into that, just a recap of the last few weeks, we've had uh, amazing uh, preach from Ray about repentance. Uh, Graham did uh, uh, preached on the dedication of the wall and uh, and the joy of worship. Uh, and last week, nicely, there was a, a, a Graham taught on tithing and giving. And uh, that's one of the sessions that we've got inside of 
this chapter of Nehemiah. So there's three parts of uh, Nehemiah, three, well, four reforms that I would pull out. And one of those is the money. The first one is separating us from our enemies. So uh, it depends on, on where you are in your Christian world. One of the things I, it's so easy, isn't it, to um, just worship the Lord. We've come out of a time of worship and we get caught up in the exuberance and the wonder of being saved by an awesome God who met us in our dire wickedness. Uh, there are certain words that you, it's difficult to use these days with a, with a PC nature to turn around and say that the population of the world is absolutely embedded in wickedness. Why? Because Jesus said, why do you call me good? Only God is good. Until I knew Jesus, until I became became born again, uh, then I was in that wickedness. So when we we, we talk about these words that, uh, that that Nehemiah uses, what wickedness is this that you're doing as the people of God? We need to own some of that. When we, when we were first born again and we had that joy of our salvation and we recognised that the, the chains were off and uh, we are being set free and uh, we're totally cleansed and righteous in God's sight, that didn't mean what happened before didn't happen. But God cleanses us from those things. And in that sort of environment and, and in that sort that, that first throes of that loving relationship with God, we get caught up in worship so easily. And of course, if you allow that to well up you in a fresh, then that's one of the things that is just so great. But then once you've, you are born again and, and you start coming back to maybe the Bible or you're starting to read it for the first time, we start getting convicted by the Holy Spirit, as the Holy Spirit reveals the will of God, the plans of God for our lives. Um, so when we have a look at these four, four areas, the first one is um, uh, separating ourselves from our enemies. So when we became a Christian, we turned around, sorry about the back, we turned our back on the world and decided we were going to walk for and in God, in his grace, in his love, in his joy, and in his mercy. And as we start reading scripture, what we find is what God expects us to be different from the world. In fact, to be the light in the darkness, we need to be those different things. So the first one is separating ourselves out from God. The second one had to do with money, had to do with bringing in the tithes and making sure all of that was done. So thank you, Graham. I don't have to do four. I'm only doing three of these today. The third one is keeping the Sabbath holy. And uh, I know I mentioned it last time when I was preaching about uh, God talking to me about the Sabbath day and, and uh, that sort of thing. So, so we're going to have a look in that, uh, that this morning. And uh, the last one, the, the last section was, who should I be joined with? All right, Who should I be joined with? I, I'm going to leave it as vague as that because I want to dig into it a little bit more uh, actively. Now, one of the ch challenges, I think, for Christians is that we are a people of a different kingdom. We are a people of God, and when we are the people of God, we, we don't use the same language as, as what well, I'm going to just class as PC. Political correctness means I shouldn't be expressing the views that God has of how he wants to run my life and how he plans my life. Uh, most of us, if you, if you ever get into psychology and those sorts of things, one of the things you can get into is this, uh, are, are, do we operate in our emotional state, emotional intelligence and that sort of thing? So one of the 
different things is, do we operate as a child? Do we operate as an adult? Or do we operate in parent mode? And uh, depending on what, what mode you're in, when I'm, when I'm doing my secular work, et cetera, and I'm talking to people, nobody wants to be told they have to do things. It's a little bit like the parent telling a child they have to do something. It's an overhanging from that, that actually we, we get this bit of a resistance that actually I don't like to be told, let alone commanded to. Now, God, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Where are the commandments? They're in scripture. When I read scripture, loads of these things really shouldn't be optional. No, not just shouldn't be, aren't optional. So when, when, when we read the scripture and it says these are the commandments and, uh, and we see that Nehemiah is commanded, what wickedness is this that you're doing? And, and I don't know anybody in the last, I don't know, five, six years, maybe 10 years plus, that has ever said to me, Paul, what wickedness is this that you're doing? They don't talk to me like that, let alone come and pull my hair out. It looks like someone has, but you know, it's, but that, that's the, that, the, the reality for us is that scripture is for our good. Jesus, when he talks about the Sabbath, he says Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. The Sabbath and most of all of the commandments that you see God says to us, they're not for his good, they're for our good. They're for our good. So uh, uh, when, when we see laws that the governments pass, theoretically, they're for our good. The idea that they put a 70 mile an hour speed limit on certain roads is to keep us safe uh, and so on. And why local roads have got 20 mile an hour speed limits to keep children safe because it's a, it's a school area. The reason God puts his words down as a commandment is because, hey, these are, this is for your safety. This is for your good. This is so that I can continue to keep you safe and, and keep you close to me and it's one of those key things about living for god means death to old self all right so uh, one of my my, my my statements today would be you know uh, living for god means turning around from the old self which was decay wickedness and so forth and living a new life which is for god this is what pleases god keeping his commandments pleases god I don't do these things to get the blessing. I don't get these th do these things in obedience just to get. What I want to do is be have a close enough relationship with a loving father who delights in me, loves me, etc. puts his arms around me, covers me with a banner of love, who, who, who embraces me and never leaves me nor forsakes me. It's him that I want to please. So it's like a little child wanting to please their, their father. If you find out what daddy likes, or you find out what mummy likes, you try and do that for them to actually get them to smile at you and, and actually embrace you, etc. A motivation to God to do these things. It's not law. We're not under law anymore. We are taking the Old Testament law and breathing life into it because of Christ and all he's done. I'm not condemned because I don't do it because I'm free. But if I walk in God's plans and purposes, it frees off all these amazing blessings for me. So when you look at us compared to uh, the people of Judah and Israel, etc., um, they weren't full of the spirit. They weren't covered by grace, etc. They were having to work out the law as they were. 
And we're empowered by the Holy Spirit. There's no condemnation for us because we don't do it. But what are the things that we're looking for? Um, here's one of those. It, 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 here's some bait. If, if you want to be drawn into this, this is the fruit of the Holy Spirit. Galatians 5.22 says this. And the fruit of the Spirit, therefore, is love, is joy, is peace is forbearance, is kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. Now, I don't know about you, but feelings can take away the reality of God's promise. The fruit of the Holy Spirit that can grow in me if I obey God, the fruit of the Holy Spirit that can grow in me if I obey God, right? This is what this is all about, is Love. Do, do I overflow with love for God? And out of that overflow of love, I'll love those around me. Does that overflow of love, is it obvious to people? Am I full of joy? Well, you can capture a part of my joy this morning because actually I'm talking about my beloved and the plans and purposes he has for us. The joy should overflow. And yet so many people are in bondage because because the truth of the word has not quite set them free yet. They haven't, we haven't grown into that joy of living with our circumstances. And Paul writes to us, consider it pure joy, my friends, when you face all sorts of trials and troubles. It doesn't say you're going to have it's an easy time, but in the midst of troubles, you'll know the joy of knowing a savior, guiding you through it, taking it to victory. So when we're having a look at the fruit of the spirit, do I have peace in my heart? Or do I worry about everything? Am I, have I got forbearance? Am I patient or am I really impatient? Am I full of kindness? Is that obvious to people? I'm full of goodness and faithfulness. This is the fruit of the spirit for those who walk in the plans, purposes and relationship with God. So keeping ourselves separate. I just wanted to mention here, separate from what? In this context, we're looking at people, right? Uh, we're looking at Tobiah and uh, the, 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 <laughs> Tobiah the Amorite. Now, let, let's remember Tobiah and Sambat. Uh, when I, last time I preached, I was talking about way earlier on when they were trying to get together to build the wall. And we had these two awful people who were enemies to the people of God who were planning to send uh, all sorts of people. The, these were the people who were sending the threats. These were the people who were trying to get Nehemiah out of the city so they could kill him. These were the people who were getting all, sending letters to uh, the king of Persia saying, they are rebelling against you. These were enemies. And yet here we are in the last chapter of the book, and then being, Unless, why don't you have a room in the temple of God? What? Uh, why don't you come and marry my, my, my son, my daughter? These, this is the sort of behavior. And you would have thought from where we've been in Nehemiah to here, a few years, and already the, 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 the doors are open for old ways, enemies to come in, to do what? To steal. To steal what? To steal the kingship and authority and place of God. Here we, here we see the people of God in Nehemiah. And what's actually happening? Well, we empty out part of the church and we put something of the world in its place. So when Nehemiah comes back from visiting uh, the king and, and, and uh, doing his full-time job, which was cupbearer, we find that actually a senior official in the church has made room for something of the world, nature, etc., in the church. 
Now, today I am the temple of God. Today you are the temple of God. What do we allow in? I turned away from so much when I became a Christian. What did, what did you turn away from? And what actually creeps in if we're not very careful into our lives that really we turned away from? We knew it wasn't good. You know, it could be lots of different things. You know, when I was a younger person, et cetera, what was it for me that I needed to turn away from? Very selfish, very self-indulgent, uh, annoyed, angry, etc. I turned away from so much. And then, then walking with God, everything's, everything's permissible, but not everything's beneficial. Paul writes to us, and, but actually it may be permissible, but actually some of these things can do us harm. Where are we within in our walk that we need to put things aside? I made a couple, a list of sorts of things that can happen. So I don't go to fortune tellers, uh, but but I used to read when newspapers were around. I there was there were they were in here. They were horoscopes. That's one of the things I used to do. It was amusing. I, I remember doing it when I wasn't a Christian. But actually, those things are of the world and of other powers. They are earthly powers. There's an enemy out there that comes to steal, kill, destroy. And how do we stop letting them in? And actually, things around us. Uh, I've got uh, people who work with me are into crystals, birthstones. Um, they're superstitious. Um, they've got lucky charms and all sorts of things. How do I give those place in my life? How do I take an interest? Well, I don't. I shut the door. That doesn't stop me being kind. That doesn't mean I can't fellowship with them. That can't, doesn't mean I'm not right in a dark place. Of course I am. But what we're, what we're talking about here is how do I allow those sorts of things? Bad habits, self-confessions. Uh, I, I know people who actually say, no, it's always been like that in my family. No, we've got an anger problem in our family. We've got a, this that, and the other. That's always been the way. No, that's an old curse. You're now a new creation with new promises in Christ. It's wonderful. But we can fall into old habits, old thought patterns that take us down a road that isn't godly. And we've turned away from that and turned into the scriptures. Now, the scripture will wash me clean as white of snow. Isn't that wonderful? And we see in Psalms, you know, wash me, O Lord, and I'll be whiter than snow. And he does. Every time you say sorry and you come to him, wonderful. God refreshes us to be like him. And one of the things that I would say as far as separating out um, we are more than conquerors in Christ. That's our true status. How are you today? How are you today? So many people ask me and I say, actually, I'm really good. I'm, uh, why? Because I know the promises of God. I'm better than I deserve, actually, because God's grace is sufficient for me. God's victory over me is love. So separating ourselves out from sometimes relationships, sometimes old habits, etc. Money, I said we're not going to cover. But the Sabbath day, I, I really wanted to um, talk to you about that and see, see how far we get with the fourth item. The Sabbath day, then, uh, it comes from, you know, on, God tells us that he made the heavens and the earth and everything in six days. And on the seventh day, he rested. And when in uh, Exodus 20, verse 8, he talks about making the Sabbath day, keep the Sabbath day holy. And he didn't do it so that you wouldn't earn any money. He didn't do it so that the farmers couldn't sow. He didn't do it for that. He did it for that. He did it for us because he knows that he made us in his own image. And after six days worth of work, we need a rest day. 
He knows that for us spiritually. He knows that for us mentally. He knows that emotionally. He knows that for us physically. He knows that. So he's planned that in. And the idea is that you keep it holy for the for the Lord. Uh, and to actually have that relationship where we can trust him with everything. It was quite interesting. When I was doing this, I was thinking about, well, hold on a moment. It's not just the Sabbath day. There's Sabbath years. And this church is, is named Jubilee Church after the seventh Sabbath year, set, set of Sabbath years. So at the 49th, 50th year, everything gets restored to the people. God has a plan. And every time he says this, you've got to trust me with the seventh day. You have to trust me for the seventh day. In the same way, when you're tithing, you have to trust him for the other 90%. Actually, in tithing, it's all his. Well, actually, all seven days of the week actually belong to God. And what he's saying is, on the Sabbath day, what does that mean for us? Well, the people of God for 40 years were in the wilderness, and they had a Feast of Tabernacles. And the Feast of Tabernacles, when they moved into the Promised Land, was once a year, they actually went and built a temporary construction of palm leaves, of tents and stuff like that. Some of them were on top of the houses and gardens, etc. And the idea was to remind them that they'd spent 40 years traveling as a transient people, no home, no place to call their own, in tents. Where did they go and worship? Outside a tent where the Holy of Holies and uh, etc. was erected and it moved with them wherever they went. Just like we're going to a field next Sunday to worship the Lord and to actually have preaching and so forth. They relied on God and they went back to the tabernacle feast to remind themselves that everything they had and everything that they've got was God's. The on the Sabbath day, keeping it holy. I mentioned last time that God was talking to me about when, when the law changed and so much retailing was suddenly going to be opened on a Sunday. I thought this was outrageous. That this is going to affect families. This is going to affect jobs. This is going to, I'm not going to go and do that sort of thing. And what do you do on a Sabbath? And how some of those values that I'd had have been eaten away. And I'm backing out of those now, thinking, no, 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 after church and that sort of thing. If I go and if I need something, I can put it off till later on the week or it can wait till next Saturday. Or how do I keep my Sabbath day holy before the Lord? How do I have a Sabbath rest? I know many of you work in different environments. You work maybe in, in the health service or whatever. And I totally get it. Absolutely. Jesus did miracles on the Sabbath. And he was quite, quite obvious that this was a good thing. Why? Because the Sabbath was for man's good. The Sabbath was for man's good. It wasn't just a religious thing. So if you're working in a care, a care scenario, et cetera, and you need to do uh, to work on the Sabbath, which we might think is a Sunday, but no, 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 no. The Sabbath day is us giving a day to the Lord so we can have a day of rest. So wherever that day is for you, that's fine. But is it a good is it good for me? Um, I've had run-ins with bosses and so forth where they wanted me to travel on a Sunday so I could be doing work on a Monday. And I've had a number of run-ins in that sort of scenario to a point where I've said to, to bosses, look, I don't have to leave. I don't have to go and find another job. If you're going to force me into this. Now, once or twice, emergencies and stuff like that, I've done that. Of course I've done that. I'm flexible, et cetera. I'm not religious. I'm faithful. 
and it's trying to work those things through. The enemy loves to get in and try and rob us from walking with God so that we can have fullness of the promises. Look, the love, joy, peace of the fruit of the Spirit comes from me walking in God's plan for my life and relying on him for everything. So when I'm looking at the Sabbath day and uh, how important that is and how God structured reliance, look, even the fields need a rest, right? So on the Sabbath year, rest. Uh, even economies need a rest. And the 50th year, year of Jubilee, restore it to where it was at the beginning. God is a God of consistency and of planning and provision. And he's saying, you trust me with the Sabbath. So I, I felt like I just wanted to say, I've got to get, even if it's showering, to a field next Sunday. I've got to be there. And something, you know, there are things that would stop me. But as far as it is reliant on me, I want to be obedient to God. Why? Because I want to walk closer to my father who, who loves me and has got a plan for me. So um, who should I be joined with? This is my last piece, uh, and uh, I'll keep this bit short. In uh, 2 Corinthians 6.14, it says, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what do righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or what fellowship can light have with darkness? Now, as I said, I was wicked. The world is wicked. Jesus had to come to save the wicked. It's not saying that, uh, that, that, that my neighbor, who is not saved, is any worse than I was. Uh, and it's not saying I should not have fellowship. It's not saying that. But don't be unequally yoked. What does yoked mean? Well, actually, it's how you used to yoke oxen or horses together so that they were fixed. And the one couldn't move without the other being moved. I need the freedom to walk with God. And he is my anchor. I want to be yoked with God. And to be yoked to someone that is linked into the world rather than linked into God puts an undue stress on me. Because God's made me to walk with him and be obedient to him. And that's where we see at the end where, where uh, I'm not going to talk too much about it, but in Corinthians chapter 1 Corinthians 7, the whole chapter really is Paul talking about getting married and who you should marry, who you shouldn't marry. And he, he's really good because says, the Lord says this bit and I say this bit. He splits it out nicely. Have a read. Don't get under condemnation. Now, if God speaks to you about a bit about it, about who you're linked with and so forth, uh, I'm not so linked with the job that I do. That doesn't mean if, if, I, if I think this is wrong, that I won't go and seek another one. I'm not unequally yoked in that. Some people get into poor partnerships. Some people are, are, are in unequal relationships. What is God saying to you when you start reading this? Do not be unequally yoked. Some people go into business partnerships with non-Christians and so forth. Sometimes it works beautifully, but quite often it doesn't. There are all sorts of different reasons. As a Christian, how do I walk this life? How do I walk this walk? In verse 19 of 1 Corinthians 7, it says, keeping God's commandment is what counts. 
as a father, he loves me. As a father, he loves you today. And because he's got commandments for us, the wonderful thing is, if I walk in those commandments, I know it will take me into abundance of life. I know it will grow in me the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, and faithfulness. God might be talking to you about something I've not mentioned today. It might be something that God's stirring in you, that is challenging you. I don't see many people in churches going around pulling people's hair out and calling them wicked because they didn't turn up to church on Sunday. We're a grace-filled people. We don't behave that way. But there might be a place for us to carefully, lovingly, joyfully embrace one another when we see areas that people need support in so that they can obey God. And that's a loving way to approach what Nehemiah was doing, declaring the people around him as wicked, because he could see what they were doing and knew the consequences. See, we want the best for one another, don't we? What do we how do we get the best for one another? We obey God. And that releases this joy, this peace, this love, relationship with the Father. We know what pleases him so we end up doing more and more of that and the challenge is the more challenging it was for you to do the bigger the blessing comes i know we don't do it for the blessing but it comes there the freedom from giving up something and living for god is just amazing because there is so much joy and peace to be had so that's where i've come to the end thank you uh this morning for giving me the opportunity to talk about Nehemiah 13 back over to david Sunday morning.